0: Not you, too.
1: Oh, Jimbo! What are you doing here?
0: What am I doing here? The real question is, why did you answer the phone?
1: Oh, that easy, Jimbo! Hershimer tell Ha Jimbo on vacation, so Ha should answer phone! Hershimer, get out here now! <laughs> Hershimer trick! <laughs> Hershimer! What you do to Ha Ha? You trick girlfriend! Wow, Hershimer. Hershimer, that's
0: not nice, and it's a very easy way to lose a new girlfriend.
1: Oh, Jimbo, haha, <laughs> sorry, but haha, <laughs> no, leave Hershimer. ha, <laughs> get back at Hershimer. You see, haha, <laughs> like to play trick, too.
0: Oh, no, not two of you. I guess the two of you are more than a couple of lookalikes. Listen, I got a podcast to do, so please, you two get back down in that bottom desk drawer and just cool your
1: jets. Ha ha, sorry, Jimbo, but haha ha, get Hershimer back soon.
0: Oh, ha ha, it's very hard to stay upset at you and Hershimer. You are so cute and Hershimer, <laughs> well, I guess he's been my buddy for too long to stay mad at him. So go on, the two of you get down in that desk drawer so we can move
1: on with this podcast. Okay, Jimbo. Okay, Jimbo. Hershmer and HaHa go back into drawer.
0: Sorry, my friends. I guess we are in for a wild ride with both Hershmer and HaHa around. Anyway, let's get this thing started the right way. Hello, Jimbo speaking.
2: to our weekly listener-supported Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Today, Jimbo will be sharing another one of his super impactful Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry, the next provocative installment of Inside Jimbo's Head, and a brand new Laugh with a Punch one-minute comedy sketch from Lifeline Productions. Hey, Jimbo, why don't you fill in our listeners with the details?
0: Okay, Riri. Riri. Hey, my friends, today I'm sharing with you one of those stories that choke me up every time I think of it. It is a story of a young man I poured many hours into and much of my life. Now, I'm always asked, what are the results of your ministry? Well, sometimes, as you have heard, it sounds great, and other times, well, this is one of those stories from the front lines of ministry. I will also take you on a roller coaster ride today with another Lifeline Production Laugh With a Punch one minute comedy skit featuring Amazing Alan. As you know, we have been studying the reality of the kingdom of God. This skit gives you a good idea of what happens when we try to live a life, even a conventional Christian life, without a kingdom perspective. Speaking of that, when I open up Jimbo's head today and give you a peek inside, we will finish up the Iranian proof that kingdom Christianity works, but then begin to delve into a study of the biblical perspective of the kingdom of God. If you've been living the life of a conventional cultural Christian, this may be something that really opens your eyes. Today, we will try to answer a question that you think you have the answer to, but you will more than likely be completely surprised when we answer, what is the gospel? Think you know? So, that's about it, Riri. So, I'm turning things back over to you. Take her away.
2: Okay, Jimbo, as I said
0: before, folks,
2: this is the listener-supported Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Your host is Jim Warren, author, motivational speaker, pastor, teacher, high-risk youth advocate, and life coach. But most of all, he's an all-around wild and crazy guy. So, without any further ado, from behind a cheap microphone in the dynamic life development studios in the thriving metropolis of Wheatfield, Indiana, okay guess if you count all the heads of corn and soybeans, you can call it a thriving metropolis. Here's Jimbo!
0: Okay, okay, okay. Hey, Hersheimer, haha, all your buddies down there in my bottom desk drawer. Let's stop all that cheering and get down to some serious business. You know, my friends, I know by now you may get tired of hearing what I'm about to ask you. However, I need to remind you of these things so I can continue to bring you these podcasts, get the DLD University up and running, and still focus my life on pouring into the young men and women I disciple and coach. So, please bear with these announcements, and we will get to a very moving story from the front lines of ministry. First, I want to remind you to go to take a look at the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast website at jimbospeaking.org. That's j-i-m-b-o-s-p-e-a-k-i-n-g, all lowercase, dot org. This is our official website where you can catch up on some behind-the-scenes stories and information you will not hear on the podcast. You can find links to my books and other information, and you can download transcripts of the Inside Jimbo's Head segment all the way back to our very first episode. You will also be able to make larger donations to the Robert Anthony West Memorial Fund to help support my direct costs ministering to and coaching disconnected, higher-risk youth and young adults I meet at the local juvenile detention center. I also want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. Not only will you receive a reminder of each week's release, but you will help move us up in the ranks so more people can find us. Finally, Be sure to continue to leave me a message about how we're doing on the podcast. Any questions you might have or comments you'd like to make. So, thanks for acting on these requests. And now, let's move forward as we laugh and think about this week's Lifeline production of Amazing Alan and the Roller Coaster. But first, we'll listen to a very moving episode of Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry, entitled, I First Met Him in Juvenile Detention. know, my friends, as many times as I have heard that introduction, it still gets to me. I still chuckle, but please don't let it take away from the seriousness of this next story. I just met him in juvenile detention. He was only 14 years old and his eyes, well, his eyes, they were full of life. Seven years later, he sat across from me in a diner. His eyes drooped with that slightly glazed look that comes from snorting way too much heroin for way too long. Where do you think we go from here? I asked. I don't know, Jimbo. That's why I called you. I just don't know what to do. We discussed where he had been, what he had been doing, and how many times he had been let down. We also talked about how many times he had let down others, including me. Sometimes it's hard, you know. It is very, very hard watching a 14-year-old teen who I quickly bonded with turn into a hardened, angry, desperate, frightened, depressed, strung out young man. However, the difficulties of my observations are nothing compared to the hard life he had. He was in and out of juvenile detention more times than you could count with the digits on both hands and both feet. In fact, you could almost double those numbers. He grew up in a trailer with seven other people. His mom was a prescription drug addict and had passed a few years into my relationship with him. By the way, hers was one of the strangest funerals I have ever attended, but I was committed to stand by this young man through everything. His mom's present husband was a pothead. His biological father, well, he was a drug dealer in a notorious part of the region. Two younger brothers lived with him when he was growing up, but they had very little supervision. The supervision they did get usually included yelling and screaming, and I'm sure not just a few blows. And then there was his cokehead aunt. She slept on the couch with whichever person was supplying her habit at the time, male or female. That was the circus of a life he had when we first met. And it all took place not in urban America, but in hometown America. Now after seven years and so many failures, most people have given up on him. He has been in many appalling situations. Frankly, appalling is way too soft of a term. He has done many harmful things to himself and just as many, if not more, to others. During his last day in juvenile detention, before he aged out, some churches and I put together an intensive program for him. But the authorities, they decided it was better to turn him over to his gangbanger father, who had just been released from adult prison for dealing. Now, well now my relationship with this young man is sporadic at best. He calls, we talk, we get together, he disappears. When should I give up? You tell me. I would like to think that every young person I have talked to, every young person I have spent time with, every young person I and others have invested in is a success story. They are not, at least not yet. A pastor who once invested a lot of time and effort in me told me many years ago, Jim, you are not called to be successful, only obedient. So I will be here the next time he or any other young person like him calls. I will listen. I will pray. I will invest my time, talents, and resources into him or any of the others. Yes, sometimes I will even cry. But I will continue to be there. Why? Because God is there. I'll be back in a moment.
2: Jim's newest book, Communing with the Trinity A Doctrine Experienced in Reality, is now available at DLDPublishing.com as well as on Amazon. And get this. It is a two-volume book filled with Jim's unique perspective on the Christian life. However, that is not the heart of this book. Jim also includes practical exercises to help his readers do more than just fill their heads with more knowledge. Here is what Jim has to say about this book.
0: My purpose in sharing this book, complete with the communion wheel, is not to add more discipline to the life of a Jesus follower. It is not to teach people to have a more effective prayer life it is not to transform worship. My purpose is not to set people free from the temporal power of sin, nor to bring them into authentic communities of communion. All these things will happen as one learns to commune with the Trinity. However, at its heart, my purpose is to bring us back to the true substance of communion and community with the persons of the Trinity. This is the crucial application of this key doctrine of Christian orthodoxy. Here is where new life starts. Here is where new life sustains. Here is where the life of the carnal Christian transforms. Here is where the power for life, godliness, and ministry develops. Here is where all Christ one finds its beginning and its completion in those disciples who seek his face
2: while this two volume book is filled with biblical teaching from an evangelical perspective of course with jim's special twist it's not a theological book as he walks you through the pages of these volumes jim shares with you the very pragmatic steps which he followed while learning to live in a full complete intimate experiential relationship with the persons of the trinity this is not a book to use to gain more knowledge though you will This is a practical guide leading you into a way to meet the Trinity in your quiet place and then live and walk in the conscious recognition of their presence. As Jim often says, communing with the persons of the Trinity is the living breath of our eternal life cycle in Christ. So please, hop on over, or at least click your way over, to DLDpublishing.com and check out this groundbreaking book for yourself. You will also find Jim's other books for sale at DLDpublishing.com. Oh, and by the way, all profits from this and all Jim's books go to support his ministry to disconnected, higher-risk youth. Shh! I'm not supposed to tell you this yet, but at the end of this show, I will share with you how to get a 25% discount on the already discounted price for this book at DLDpublishing.com.
3: So keep listening. We're here with amazing Alan at the wildest roller coaster ride in the world. Okay, what are you going to do? Slam me into a wall? No, Alan. As a matter of fact, I will ride the roller coaster with you. Really? Sure, Alan. Hop in. Okay. I'll just pull down my safety bar. Uh, where's my safety bar? Alan, you don't have a safety bar. Huh? You're illustrating going through life's ups and downs without God. But what if there's a loop-de-loop? Alan, we were not meant to handle life's uncertainties like this drop without God. Whoa! Alan? I'm illustrating going through life's wild turns with God. No matter what comes my way, I know God is in control and I'm right where he wants me to be.
1: I can't see what's coming. Ah!
3: (coughs) Alan, without God, we live our lives in fear of what might happen to us. When we know God, we can have peace through all of life's twists and turns. There's got to be a better way to make these points, guys. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com.
0: I started talking about the marvelous, miraculous move of father in Iran, I did not think I would do a third episode. I think I should always remember that when you plan something, plan the amount of time you think it will take, and then double it. Okay, okay, I know, I know, in my case, you think I should triple it. Sometimes it's like that in life. Things rarely go the way you think they will. I guess Amazing Alan figured that one out in today's Frontline Production One-Minute Laugh-With-A-Punch comedy skit. The one thing I know for sure is things don't always go as planned with the young men and women I have the opportunity to serve throughout this area. The young man I talked about in the story from the front lines of Ministry segment wasn't the first, and he sure will never be the last. Remember what answer I gave to why I keep going? You are not called to be successful, but obedient. Sometimes we forget that in life, even our lives in Christ. Often we think Jesus came to make our lives better or to give us the best possible lives in this life. When we do that, we may not be like Amazing Alan, who had no safety bar. We may have a safety bar, but it is one made out of cardboard. It may work in some of the turns of life, but the loop-de-loops? By now, if you've lived for a few decades, you know that a cardboard safety bar will not hold up under extreme pressure. You see, my friends, I have another story from the front lines of ministry that I have not yet even recorded. It is about a young man and his son who thought Jesus was all about taking care of them and meeting what they felt were their needs. That is the typical syndrome of easy beliefism. Today, Neither of them is living for Jesus. Oh, they think they have faith, but. These two people are people who I have been tempted to give up on. But then I keep hearing in my inner person obedience, not success. So let's throw away the cardboard safety bars. Let's look once again at a place where easy believism has never taken root and where the order of the day is a faith that produces obedience. Oh, and a place where giving up is never an option, let alone a desire. Welcome back. Let me just see if I can get Jimbo's head open just a little bit today. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, but with all the seriousness of our talks on Kingdom Christianity, I just have to laugh every once in a while. Even though that may not have made you laugh, I have to stop recording when that sound comes on. Jimbo's Head is one place well stuffed, but also one scary place to enter. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I hope, amid a little confusion, you are moving closer to authentic Kingdom Christianity. So, today, we will, and I mean we will, finish our look at the Iranian Church and get directly into Scripture. First, I will highlight the effects that took place in a group of Western missionaries after spending many hours on many occasions with the Iranian church leaders. You will remember, I hope, that these things are seen in the documentary film Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, produced by FAI Studios. Amid that review, I will also do a quick recap of the key aspects of this move of God that exemplify Kingdom Christianity. Then, sound the trumpet. We will move into a biblical study of the kingdom of God. We must always remember how, no matter what we see happening in the world, only a biblical view can lead us into the truth of kingdom Christianity. I can't wait to get to that. It will be a whole barrel of fun. Okay, maybe it won't be a barrel full of monkeys, but hopefully you will enjoy it, and this study will bring deep life changes into both your life and mine. And, oh yes, I'm done with the sound effects for today. Let's get serious. So, let's try to summarize how these Western missionaries have responded to the Iranian miracle. As I do this, I will review what we learned in both the last two episodes. This will be topped off with a major emphasis on what the Iranians call discipleship-making movements. Have you listened to the last two episodes of Inside Jimbo's Head? If not, I strongly suggest you go back and listen to episodes 7 and 8 before you continue in this episode. Even if you have, you may want to review them before moving on. This is important because, for the sake of time, I will not quote many of the things said by both the Iranian leaders and the missionaries so transformed by spending time with them. But please, please, please remember that you cannot look at this as more information to shove into your intellect to spew out on others. You must make a commitment to Father that as He shows you these realities, you are ready to act upon them, no matter what the cost or consequences. You don't want to be stuck with a cardboard safety bar, do you? Nonetheless, you cannot act upon them with your human abilities. The only way to act upon them is by internalizing them and living walking in the Spirit. The only way I know to do that is to spend much time in a quiet place, alone with Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, mauling these things over in your mind while in quiet contemplation. Okay, with that caveat, let's move forward. I can summarize the things said by the Western missionaries about how they were transformed by their time with the Iranian leaders in two points. First, Kingdom Christianity must begin with a personal internalization in a believer that produces both repentance and active faith. We heard an authentic sense of repentance and a desire to actively change in many of the quotes I read in the last two episodes. We also heard the wife of an old missionary say that the Lordship of Jesus must change our entire lives. Newsflash By entire life, She meant our entire life, not just the part we reserve for a few hours each week while depending upon our native cultural realities the rest of the week. Oh, we may try to shake a little Jesus into those realities like salt and pepper to give them the right seasoning. However, that, my friend, is not Kingdom Christianity. It's its cheap, counterfeit substitute, cultural Christianity. Many of the Western missionaries also confessed that the kind of Christ-focused life that is seen in the Iranian disciples of Jesus was not happening in the community they are normally a part of, i.e., the American Church. We also saw a strong commitment to prayer and obedience developed in the missionaries' lives as a result of their interactions with the Iranian Church leaders. This is reminiscent of what the Iranian leader said in Episode Seven. Their quotes led us to the conclusion that following Jesus is a total life decision that accepts whatever happens, no matter how harsh the consequences. And a vibrant, unwavering love for Jesus as Lord is the only ongoing, moment-by-moment reality for authentic disciples of Jesus focused on Kingdom Christianity. The second point, summarizing the missionary's statements, is this. We could hear their recognition, because of their interactions with the Iranian church leaders, that the key to authentic Christianity is a focus on eternal things, not temporal things. This is one of the key aspects of Kingdom Christianity exemplified by the Iranian church we discussed in Episode 7 as well. Remember this quote from that episode? The church in the West is living for, how can we make this life the best possible life? While the church in Iran is saying, forget this life, I'm living for the next one. You see, my friend, as long as we are focused on our cultural aspect of trying to make this life the best possible life, we will never be able to withstand the pressures of persecution, no matter how much we would like to speculate about it. We simply are living as converts not disciples but this is much more significant when it comes to living the specific kind of life we are commanded by Jesus and his earlier followers to live paul tells us in romans chapter 8 that if we focus on the things of the flesh it is impossible to please god get this that is exactly what a life focused on making this life the best that it can be is all about focusing on the flesh In fact, that kind of focus leads to death, according to Paul. However, when we have a life focused on the eternal things of the next life, the things of the Spirit of God, the things of the present kingdom of God, we live, walk in the Spirit, and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, thus honoring Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit with a life lived in conformity to Jesus. Now, Please listen carefully, my friends. If all you do is remember the first point and this second point, if all you do is focus on these two things, you will be well on your way to living the life Father has called you to live, the life only found in Kingdom Christianity. Just to make sure you caught them, here they are again. First, Our life must be one of internalization, repentance, active faith, producing obedience, and a vibrant, unwavering love for Jesus. This must all be coupled with a life focused on kingdom life, not this life. The opposite of that, making this life as good as it can be. During the last two weeks, and specifically Episode 7, we also saw three other aspects of Kingdom Christianity exemplified by the Iranian disciples of Jesus. First, their focus is always on the authority of Scripture lived out in obedience without excuse, without a second thought, and without concern for the consequences of doing so. We also saw their devotion to prayer, which was based on communion with the persons of the Trinity, not a laundry list of things they thought they needed, but in reality are nothing but wants that bring comfort, entertainment, adornment, and financial security based on our humanly created systems. This, as we will learn in a later episode, is the key to living walking in the Spirit, allowing him to guide and lead a person in the life of ministry he has called each disciple of Jesus to live. The final aspect of Kingdom Christianity exemplified in the Iranian move of God was their commitment to disciple people for the purpose of conversion versus converting people with the intent of discipling them. It is this one I want to pick up on, for we see it described in many of the quotes by the Western missionaries concerning the changes in their perspective. I also want to focus on this because we really did not have time to break this down in either of the last two episodes, and it is probably the most radical to our Western evangelical ears of all the aspects of what Father is doing in Iran. But please, Remember this one crucial truth. Things like internalization, repentance, active faith, obedience, a vibrant, unwaving love for Jesus all focused on the things of God may not be radical to our ears. We have heard them over and over again in most earnest evangelical environments. However, these things are very radical to our lifestyle. Why? because we either ignore them as we busy ourselves keeping up with our native culture while our easy believism serves as the foundation of our lives, or we have been infected with the I'll-fly-away mentality. So, let's wrap up this review with a look at DMM, Disciple-Making Movements. This is what the Iranian church leaders call how they approach ministry. The key to this, as we have seen in the past weeks, is discipling to convert, rather than converting to disciple as is done in the West. I want to list a few aspects of what this is and how it works as seen in those episodes. I will also be connecting those aspects with what the Western missionaries said last week about how their perspectives on life and ministry have changed. First, the disciples of Jesus in Iran tie their approach to ministry together with both the Great Commission commanded by Jesus and the way Jesus approached people as exemplified by his actions recorded in the Gospels. Next, The first moment the Iranian Christians are led by the Spirit to speak to someone, they begin to disciple them in being thankful to God, to pray to God, the authority of Scripture along with the obedient response it demands, as well as how to minister to one another. This happens whether or not the person has been converted. Because of this, the DMM approach becomes a disciplined and an obedient-based discipleship versus the passing on of information, as we see in most of our churches today. The disciple is trained to obey Scripture every time they read it, and if they don't obey, they do not continue. They read the Bible expecting transformation, and if it doesn't happen, they don't continue. Next the approach the Iranians take to discipleship is relational, not positional. In other words, they disciple from the standpoint of living life with people rather than lecturing them or giving classroom-type courses. Next, they are totally dependent upon the direction of the Holy Spirit in approaching people with the gospel. Actually, we can see their dependency upon the Holy Spirit in every aspect of their lives. Next, After spending many hours on numerous occasions, the Western missionaries view the Iranian approach to ministry and Christian life compared to their Western approach to Christianity in the following ways. First, we must change our focus of ministry towards those outside of Christ from conversion to discipleship making. Second, we must change our approach to how soon we allow people who are being discipled for conversion to reach out to others. Third, ministry and leadership must be decentralized. It must be moved from one or a small group of ministry experts to each person in the community of disciples, seeing themselves equipped to pastor, teach, and evangelize by making disciples and thus planting churches. Fourth, God uses ordinary people regardless of their biological or spiritual age. Fifth, we must stop training leaders in classrooms and keep them in the crucible of direct ministry as they are discipled by another person. If a person has a passion for ministry, let them run for it. I would only add to this, but stay right by their side. 6. Local churches must stop trying to build themselves up, but must constantly be sending their members out to make disciples and thus plant new churches that are not based on buildings or other aspects of cultural Christianity. Okay, I would like to wrap this whole discussion up with the point that most represents how the Western missionaries see the Western Church's approach to life and ministry. Ready? Remember this? In the West, we are trying to run the software of the gospel on hardware that does not work with the software. The screen reads over and over again, not compatible, and we are not even aware that we are staring into a blue screen. Okay, I added the not compatible and blue screen part. But if that isn't a picture of what is happening in the West, well, go back and listen to the very first episode of Inside Jimbo's Head entitled, Houston, We Have a Problem. I was going to stop there, but I must leave you with one final quote that demonstrates from real life the computer analogy. The most powerful thing I have ever heard, which both points to the fact that in America we do not practice authentic Christianity, as well as pointing to the power of kingdom Christianity as seen in Iran, is the following story told by a Western missionary. It relates what happened to an Iranian couple when they moved to the United States and tried to practice their lives as disciples of Jesus as they learned in Iran. Here are the words of that missionary. The most impactful thing that he, an Iranian church leader, shared with me was a story about his wife. Actually, something that his wife said that has really stuck in my head. He talked about how years ago they had an opportunity to move to the United States and live there. So they did. And then, after being in the United States for a short period of time, his wife began to plead with him to take her back to Iran, which he felt was crazy. I mean, who wants to move back to Iran under all sorts of oppression, where the sharing of your faith could bring the end of your life, or brutal incarceration, or rape, or all sorts of horrible things? Who wants to do that? I mean, who wants to move from the United States to Iran? She told him, there is a satanic lullaby here, and all the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. That little story disturbed me because this woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was a greater threat than the kind of persecution that was happening in Iran. That threat was spiritual sleepiness. That is a more dangerous situation than persecution. I had to ask myself the question, is that true? To her, lethargy and indifference was a greater threat than persecution. And it is. It simply is. Okay, here it comes. Are you ready? (laughs) I guess I told you I wouldn't do that again. Oh well. Let's open up our Bible and ask the question we were trying to answer through the living example of the Iranian Church, what is Kingdom Christianity? In two of my books, Communing with the Trinity and the Radical Jesus Prayer, I go into depth on this subject. However, in concluding this episode and in the next two episodes, I hope to give you enough to help you start moving down the right set of tracks. No, (laughs) I'm not going to have a train sound there. You're safe. Here is some important background for studying the kingdom of God as presented in the Bible. Jesus spoke in the clearest way possible about the kingdom of God, what it is, what it isn't, and when it would come. Regardless of your standing on the future return of Jesus, these issues so clearly laid out in Scripture must be our focus now. Why? Jesus made the coming of the kingdom key to our petitions when he taught his disciples how to pray. It is of the utmost importance that we, as Jesus followers, listen in the clearest way to what Jesus said and did concerning the kingdom. We must not make the same mistake as the religious leaders of his day. Their intense focus on the establishment of a physical kingdom caused them to miss what was right under their combined noses. Alfred Edersheim, who lived between 1825 and 1899, was a Jewish convert to Christianity and a scholar. His best-known book is The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. In this classic work, he shows how these Jewish leaders saw everything in the Old Testament as leading to this one thing. They saw the underlying thread of all Old Testament scripture to be God's gracious manifestation in the world, the kingdom established upon the earth. Here is a quote from Edersheim's book. The idea underlying all of the Old Testament is God's gracious manifestation in the world, the kingdom of God, the meaning of all, the establishment of this kingdom upon earth. That gracious purpose was to speak individualized and the kingdom actually established in the Messiah. You see, my friends, throughout their rabbinical writings, the Jewish scholars understood that the Messiah would establish this kingdom. This understanding was correct. Jesus and his followers claimed that he was the Messiah. Yet look what Jesus said as he stood before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. The emotional and intellectual psyche of the Jewish people focused on one thing— The establishment of the Jewish state, divinely appointed to rule the world, bringing justice and righteousness. They saw how God had brought them out of bondage in the past, and desired liberation from Roman tyranny. The Messiah would bring this about once and for all by establishing his kingdom on the earth. Jesus, as the Messiah, became quite a problem. He spoke and proclaimed a spiritual kingdom. They, (laughs) huh. they wanted a physical kingdom. He lined up as the prophetic Messiah, yet not in this one area. This area was the most important to them. Thus, they were not willing to let go of their eschatological framework. Jesus challenged the belief system, the cultural mindset of the Jewish leaders, in many personal ways. Obviously, the Messiah must agree with us, they thought. We are the well-educated leaders of God's people. Yet this Jesus guy who had no education did not agree with these well-educated leaders of God's people. Again and again, he pointed out what was lacking not only in their theology, but in their personal lives. It looked more and more like their dreams would never come true. And anyway, who is he to tell us our lives are screwed up? He is just a carpenter's son from Nazareth and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So, instead of refocusing their cultural mindset and repenting, what did they do? They turned him over to the Romans, their archenemies for crucifixion. Now that we have the backdrop for our study, let's take a look at this kingdom. It is for this kingdom, the kingdom established by the Messiah, that we are to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At least, that is what Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray. Probably a pretty good idea, huh? And maybe, just maybe, it might be even better to understand the kingdom. What do you think? Here are our two main concerns when thinking about the kingdom established by the Messiah. First, we must consider what constitutes this kingdom and what significance does it play in our lives today as Jesus' followers. Next, we must consider when God will establish his kingdom. After all, Jesus said to pray, Your kingdom come. Let's look at the first things first. We must establish that the Bible speaks of the kingdom with two main descriptors the kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of heaven are they the same thing, or the same thing with two different descriptive titles? While there exists differing views on this, I have found that looking at these descriptive titles and their use puts things into perspective. One way to do this is to compare how each of the gospel writers uses these terms. When you do this, you will discover a striking reality often missed by the casual reader of scripture. Now listen carefully. Please don't get lost in the weeds. Here are some important biblical facts. Matthew is the only writer in the New Testament to use the term kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm no Einstein, but that should seem significant to most readers in the same way it seemed significant to me. This becomes true if the reader comes with no preconceived notions. Now, Matthew uses the term kingdom of God, but only four times. However, he uses kingdom of heaven 31 times. This, in contrast to Luke, who uses the term kingdom of God, the exact same amount Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, 31 times. In reality, we find the term kingdom of God used in the gospel accounts 51 times. In Acts, we find it used six times and in the epistles, seven times. That is a grand total of 64 times the kingdom of God appears in the New Testament. Now, by contrast, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven only 31 times. Thus, the term kingdom of X appears 95 times. Add to this the fact that the term kingdom standing alone appears 33 times, These references to the kingdom all focus on God's kingdom. This is a grand total of 128 times when the concept of a kingdom concerning the gospel is used. Even the casual reader will agree there must be something important in the New Testament about the term kingdom. Using the term kingdom happens over 50% more times than the word blood. I hope you understand the importance of the word blood to the gospel. Now hang in there with me. We need to take this one step further. When used in the gospel, almost half the time, we find the word kingdom standing alone in Matthew's gospel, 11 times. Thus, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, or kingdom, 46 times. 91% of the time, he used kingdom of heaven, or the generic term kingdom. Now, here's the question. Why did Matthew use the kingdom of heaven, or kingdom, rather than kingdom of God like the other authors of the New Testament? No one else used the term kingdom of heaven, not in the Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles, or the book of Revelation. An answer seems to appear when we look at the original audience of each book of the Bible. Matthew's Gospel was the only Gospel written with the Jewish people as the primary audience. In the epistles focused on Jewish believers, the term kingdom of X never appears. However, Mark's and Luke's gospel account had a Gentile audience as their focus. John's audience was the church in general, and the term kingdom of X only appears twice, with both appearances as kingdom of God. Remember, John's writings were the last books of the Bible written. The Gospel of John came 33 years after Matthew and Mark's Gospel accounts. Thus, Kingdom of God seemed to be the settled descriptive title in the Church for the Kingdom spoken of by Jesus. These facts all seem to indicate that when writing to a Jewish audience, the term Kingdom or Kingdom of Heaven was the term of choice. Why? This fits well with the Jewish thought of the establishment of a Jewish theocracy. Yet, when writing to a Gentile audience, the term most used was kingdom of God. When referring to this event, the Jewish rabbinical literature most often used the phrase kingdom of heaven. Thus, with Matthew's gospel primarily having a Jewish audience, this term would be retained or simplified to the kingdom. Even though Jesus preached the kingdom as a spiritual theocracy rather than a physical theocracy, the Jewish people needed to understand. They needed to understand the kingdom Jesus brought was the same kingdom promised to them throughout their sacred writings. The refocusing of the traditional Jewish rabbinical notion of an earthly kingdom to a spiritual kingdom actually started with John the Baptist, and his call for repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Instead of rallying people to form an army and overthrow Rome, John called them to a change of life and a life of repentance. John was the forerunner or herald of Jesus. This introduced Jesus, who continued this same call in all his teachings. But get this, the kingdom Jesus defined was to extend to the Gentiles, not just the Jewish people. Three places you will find this is Luke 2.32, John 10.6, and Ephesians 3.6. Ready for this? Here it comes. The kingdom being extended to the Gentiles would include the Jews' arch enemies, the Romans. Talk about a radical shock to the Jewish mindset. Let me wrap this up with this statement. To use kingdom of heaven would confuse Gentiles who were not familiar with the Jewish traditions and their use of that term. Thinking of heaven in the terms of the kingdom would cause a misunderstanding of the meaning and timing of this new kingdom. And so it does for us Gentiles today. Thus, among the Gentiles, the term kingdom of God became the preferred term for Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The term kingdom of heaven became the preferred term among the Jews. Matthew used this term because it was the term they used when referring to the coming kingdom of the Messiah. If Jesus were the Messiah, he would have to establish that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And as we will see, he did. Well, I hope that really wet your whistle. If you got nothing out of this, simply remember the term kingdom when referring to God's kingdom appears twice as many times as the word blood appears in the New Covenant. Once again, you don't have to be Einstein to see the significance of the term kingdom when referring to Christianity. Now, put that together with how the Iranian Christian woman reacted to the American church. Now you know why I make such a big deal about the difference between kingdom Christianity and cultural Christianity. One brings about a sleepiness of lethargy and indifference to spiritual things, while the other... Well, come back next week, and we will dig deeper into this subject. Until then, please let me remind you to subscribe to this podcast, click the support button, and consider making a small monthly donation to my ministry with hurting youth and young adults. Please also consider leaving us a message with your response to what you're learning and what you think about this podcast. And be sure to check out the Hello Jimbo Speaking website at jimbospeaking.org, where you can get transcripts of each of the Inside Jimbo's Head segments as a PDF download, as well as many other interesting things. So, as I do every week, I want to encourage you that as you move through your life, go out there. And by God's grace, make it a great week that honors and glorifies Him in the way He tells us to honor and glorify Him. Settle for nothing less. See you next week. Hey.
2: It's Riri coming back at you. Before we sign off, I have just a few announcements. Please subscribe to this podcast today and become a part of the Jimbo Nation by setting up a monthly donation of only 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Remember, if you choose the $9.99 monthly donation, you will get a 75% discount on everything at DLDU, including a lifetime membership. If you wait until after DLDU launches, that discount will drop to 33%. Plus, this week's DLD publishing special is on Jim's book, Communing with the Trinity, a doctrine experienced in reality. If you subscribe and support at the $9.99 option, Jimbo will send you a code for a 25% discount on this already discounted book at DLDpublishing.com, where your 25% discount is exclusively available on the print version. But hey, if you choose to support, whether or not you use a Discounts, you will be helping Jimbo make a huge difference in the life of some very hurting and misdirected young people. You know, the ones you hear about each week in the Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry segment. So it really is worth every penny you use to support Jimbo's ministry through the Robert Anthony West Fund, which Jimbo told you about in Robert's story from episode five. Also, I wanted to let you know about the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast website, jimbospeaking.org. There, you can find past episodes of the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast to download, transcripts of each Inside Jimbo's Head, a place to Leave a written comment to Jimbo as well as a place to support Jimbo's ministry to high risk, disconnected youth and young adults. You can also sign up for a weekly sneak preview of that week's new Inside Jimbo's Head. So drop on over to jimbospeaking.org and check it out. Finally, please don't forget, next week, Jimbo will be back with another story from the front lines of ministry a one-minute laugh with a punch comedy skit from Lifeline Productions, and a new segment in the Cultural Christianity vs. Kingdom Christianity series. Wow, look at that! Hershimer and HaHa have joined me. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Hey, Riri!
1: Hi, Riri! What Riri doing?
2: Oh, I was just getting ready to call Hershimer to help me with signing off from this week's podcast. Ah, uh, Riri! Hershimer, no, you let HaHa
1: sign off last week. This week, Hershimer and Haha want to sign off together.
2: Okay, Hershimer. I guess you guys know what you're doing. You two go for it. Okay.
1: Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, and don't forget, next week, Haha get Hershimer back. Ha <laughs> ha